If you like the Terrifying Lies podcast, I encourage you to share it and write a positive review, or at least rate it with the highest number of stars possible. The Terrifying Lies Podcast, with music and stories by Craig Nibo. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Terrifying Lies Podcast, where the sea be a mistress, both fair and cruel, and she claims her due. My name is Craig Nibo, your host. Before we go on, I must warn you, today's episode is part three of a four-part series. I encourage you to go back and listen to the last two episodes. Otherwise, you might find yourself a bit unanchored. I based today's story on characters found in a game I developed called Chops, the rock and roll board game. It's a hilarious game where you can build bands and play gigs for cashola. But rock and roll is dangerous. You might deal with demonically possessed drummers, shifty promoters, and dangerous venues, such as the Bucket of Blood, where there's a good chance some of the band members might not walk out alive. Today, we pick up where we left off. The up-and-coming band Sharkskin has changed their name to Blunderbusted and managed to draw the famous singer Melody Blackheart from her usual band, Skinning Tuesday. Their manager, Johnny Biscuit, has booked them on their biggest gig to date, an engagement aboard a tall sailing ship called the Filthy Vicar. With mixed opinions on their past live performances ranging from They suck! to Yeah, they're okay. Does Blunderbusted have what it takes to win over the crowd and come out on top? Listen on to find out. I now give you Blunderbusted, part three of four, written and performed by me, Craig Nibo. Dispatch of midshipmen retrieved Blunderbusted's equipment and deposited it case by case on the raised quarterdeck. The musicians broke open cases and went to work. Dusty Cannon set up her drum set, custom kit with augmentation such as overhead mortar shells that rang like bells when she struck them. The bass head on her kick still bore the shark skin logo. She looked at the lines of the logo, shark's jaw, racked with teeth, twisting into a double S pattern. A sense of nostalgia settled over her. The name had gotten she and Barry where they were today. They hadn't played many well-paying gigs, but the old band name represented hundreds of hours of songwriting, rehearsal setups, and breakdowns, and gigs for audiences of varying reception levels. She supposed that Charlie Biscuit had been right to select a more sellable name in order to get them the Filthy Vicar gig. No matter what she thought now, Sharkskin was gone and Blunderbusted had entered the building. She might as well accept it. Melody Blackheart put an arm around Dusty and looked down at the monikered drum kit. It's just a name, you know. In the early years, we wanted to get into an L.A. venue called Area 66 so badly that we changed our name every week to get another appointment with the manager. The reason we went with Skinning Tuesday is because that's the only one that opened the door for us. What matters is the music. I think we have something here that can fly if we give it wings. Oh, I suppose you're right. I know I'm right. Look out there. Melody pointed to the spar deck where dozens of men and women worked, doing everything from trimming sails to scrubbing the deck. They're our clients. Our job is to please them. A rack of auxiliary percussion lost its footing and clattered to the deck, causing most of the midshipmen to look up at the stage. Seeing that the clatter was not their problem, they bent their oily backs into the tasks they'd been assigned. 
We're gonna need some way of fastening these percussion racks to the deck, Barry said, riding his Og's percussion rack. Batten them down with hemp and nail, a voice said from further back on the quarter deck. The musicians all turned around to see Adam Quick, who seemed to be everywhere at once, standing by the wheelman. You'll find supplies in those cartons. He inclined his head toward a set of wooden boxes fastened to the rails of the quarter deck. Barry Guns found what he needed and went to work. With a few well-placed nails in the deck and a web of hemp, he battened both his and Dusty's drum racks down tight. What about PA and microphones? Melody asked Adam. Strictly unplugged on this vessel. We be traditionalists. How are they supposed to hear me singing? Melody gestured toward the working midshipman on the spar deck. Adam Quick retrieved an acoustic megaphone from where it hung on a nail in the mizzen mast. The thing was fixed with gears and mechanical apparatuses. At its center was a cone, much like Thomas Edison's late 19th century upgrade of the speaking trumpet. But the model Adam held boasted a complex assortment of mechanics, springs, cogs, hammers, and levers. She's called the Barker, Adam said, handing it to Melody. The device felt weightier than Melody had expected. She looked it over, turning it this way and that. Give her a whirl, Adam said, as simple as pulling the trigger. Melody pulled the trigger on the gun-like device. The acoustic spectrum around the device popped open. The intricate network of springs and cogs spun in a faint whisper of clicks and taps. The Barker had no electronic parts and required no power. Melody couldn't see a way for the thing to function at all, and yet felt alive in her hands. She raised it to her mouth and spoke. Testing, one, two, three. Her voice projected across the ship as if she had spoken into a PA system. The device equalized the lower tonality out of her voice, giving it a piercing mechanical quality, which she liked. Should she stop tossing sound for you? Adam said, pointing to a crank on the side of the barker. Wind her up. She should be good for a half an hour of good sound tossing with each wind-up. This is brilliant, Melody said, turning the device over and looking at every inch of it. Where can I get one? One of a kind, I'm afraid. And she's not for sale. Ah, that's a shame. Adam looked up at the sun. It'd be getting late in the afternoon. You'd best be seeing to your setup. The men and women will be hungry for a little R&R tonight. Melody placed the barker in an open drum case and went to work, helping her bandmates adjust their gear and tune up for the upcoming show. I'm concerned, Barry said as he adjusted the heads of his timbales with a drum key. Captain Farkle says he wants us to play three sets. Truth is, I and Dusty only have one solid hour of material. You can vamp on a groove, can't you? Melody said. Sure, but let me do the rest, Melody said. I'm a pretty solid freestyle rhymer, and without any guitars, keyboards, or basses, I can sing whatever melody I want. So, it's going to be a jazz odyssey then, Barry smiled. It's going to be a trip, that's for sure, Melody said, holding a snare stand while Dusty used a handful of nails and a round of hemp to secure it. Just make sure whatever you're freestyling on is nautical. We're hired as a pirate folk rock ensemble, Dusty said. Not a problem. Like I said, if this gig has taught me anything, it's taught me that the sea is in my soul, Melody said. The three of them finished their setup, sound check, an hour before showtime, as they tested the acoustics of the ship with a few audition grooves and with Melody singing a handful of rhymes through the barker, more than one of the midshipmen smiled as he or she looked up from his work at the quarterdeck. They wanted a great show. Blunderbust had planned on bringing their best game to the spar deck of the filthy vicar. Terrifying Lies Podcast 
will return after this short commercial break. Welcome back to the Terrifying Lies Podcast. After donning their pirate costumes, half Long John Silver, half Alice Cooper, the band exited their cabins and took a short hallway to a ladder that led up to the spar deck. A thumping gale of feet and shouting reverberated even through the closed trapdoor above. The band stopped at the base of the ladder for a moment to bolster their courage. Something clattered topside. A piece of thrown furniture or equipment, perhaps. A shrill of screams. A combined din of men's and women's voices, followed by the rattle of breakage. What are they doing up there? Barry asked, tapping on the side of his thigh with a tight fist. Sounds like a pirate party, Dusty said. Just our style, right? Yeah, just our style, Barry said, but something in his voice cracked. So who's going first? I got this, Melody said. She climbed the ladder and pushed the trapdoor open. Something else broke above deck and bits of shattered wood flew into the open port and down into the hold. Melody ducked just in time to avoid being hit by what looked like an iron cleat. She poked her head above deck for a look around. Pirate party is what we have, all right, she shouted down at the others. This place is like a battleground. She took the final few rungs and mounted the spar deck right in the middle of the party. A mob of sailors, both men and women, had formed a circle around an old man with a concertina. The man played an old sea shanty. The mob joined in the song with broken voices, dancing a collective jig as the old guy played. Barely noticed Melody as she popped out from below. Dusty cannons came next, followed by Barry guns. Three of them pushed through a clod of sailors, steins and fists, breath acrid with the stench of bad rum, toward the raised quarterdeck. A woman shouted at Barry as he began his ascent up the ladder to the stage. Hey, landlubber! Barry looked toward the source of the voice. A woman, dressed in thrashed jeans and a leather corset, drew a dagger from a hidden sheath at the small of her back. She held up the dagger, showing Barry the flat side of the blade. You want a little tongue? She shouted with a drunken drawl. Barry tried on a smile, but it didn't fit right. He shrugged his shoulders and pointed with a half-dead finger up at the quarterdeck. The woman threw her dagger at Barry with a fluid stroke. Barry dodged to the side, and the dagger slammed into the wood right where Barry's head had been. Come here, the woman said, opening her arms. Her tattooed biceps scared Barry almost as much as the thrown dagger. He quickened his climb up the ladder. He mounted the quarterdeck in a pile of spindling arms and legs and turned around for a glimpse of the woman. She'd already forgotten him and re-entered the crowd, picking up the shanty where she had left off. Melody helped Barry to his feet. Are you okay? They're crazy, Barry said. All of them. Let's give them a show they won't forget, Melody said. She put an arm around Barry's shoulders and led him to his drum kit. He sat down and drew a pair of sticks from a clutch that hung from the back of his floor tom. He looked over at dusty cannons. She sat on her drum throne, tightening a bandana around her head. She wore it both as part of her stage persona and also for practical reasons. She tended to sweat during shows and the stinging stuff ran down into her eyes. She picked up her sticks and looked over at Barry, her face ruddy with excitement. Just settle into something hot. Follow my lead, Melody said. Dusty, start us off. Barry, jump in as soon as you see where she's going. Barry nodded. Dusty kicked in a fast rhythm, something complicated, on her floor tom. Barry admired her stick handling. She'd been at it for a much shorter time than he, but although he would never admit it, she could play circles around him when it came to complicated grooves. However, what Barry lacked in that department, he made up for in creative auxiliary rhythm ideas. With their intermixed styles, they could weave gripping beats that functioned beautifully under melody. For several bars, Barry tapped his foot to Dusty's groove. 
and let it get under his skin. He laid down his rhythm on a set of temple blocks mounted above his head. Melody turned around and gave her new bandmates a glance of approval. She collected herself and focused on the crowd eight feet below her. The midshipmen and women hadn't yet reacted to the rhythm. Fight had broken out, four on deck. More and more sailors had jumped into the fray, and it looked like the whole deck threatened to break into an out-and-out -out brawl. Whether or not the audience paid attention, the band had be paid the same. Melody had said that mantra to herself at so many depressing gigs, especially in the early years. She raised the barker to her lips and pulled the trigger. The clockwork mechanics caused the device to vibrate in her hand. Hello, filthy vicar! She shouted. Some of the sailors disengaged from the fight and looked up at Melody high on the quarterdeck. Welcome to the second dog watch. Tonight, we shall grant you no quarter from our grooves. A few of the midshipmen cheered, raising their steins of foaming brew. I see that I'm beginning to get some of your attention. I dare you to move your eyes away while I try a little thing here. More of the sailors stopped what they were doing to look up at her. She leaned forward and put her lips so close to the barker that she tasted the breath of those who had used it before her. She rapped. Pray you don't draw the spot in a clod of rot. When that's all you ever got, there's gotta come a day when you pay the Dutchman with an open palm full of blood and forbidden sand. If you pull the trigger or light the fuse, you're gonna lose. Get the cursed booze from the gallery. You gotta choose who you serve. Is it mammon or master? Is it friend or foe? Is it angst or anger? This is the life you know. Give me a yo. Melody pointed at the audience looking for a callback. They didn't give it to her, so she repeated the chorus line. This is the life you know. Give me a yo. Yo! A bird-like man in front of the crowd shouted, raising a fist. Melody tried the chorus line again. This is the life you know. Give me a yo. Yo! Even more sailors cried out. Melody leaned hard into the chorus one more time, shouting into the barker. This is the life you know. Give me a yo. Yo! The hook sank in. Most of the mob shouted back at her. From that moment, she knew she had them. She relaxed and settled into her freeform prancing back and forth on the quarterdeck, calling out sailors who were dancing or thumping along to the rhythm with pounding feet, making eye contact with as many members of the audience as she could. She felt better on that rocking quarterdeck stage than she had in the past two years with Skinning Tuesday. Sure, the money wasn't what she made with her usual outfit, but something burned inside her that she hadn't felt for a long time. She worked the crowd from song to song through the first set, took a few grooves for the two drummers to lock in sync, but once they got there, the ensemble rocked the party with unstoppable interconnection. The show felt almost perfect. At three quarters of the way through their first set, Melody saw Captain Frank Farkle walk out onto the spar deck. He wore his dandy outfit, complete with ruffled shirt and beaver skin bowler. He moved like a man half his age as he took woman after woman by the waist and spun them with unexpected strength. He kept the party lively with his wide, well-dentured grin. The crew responded to him with cautious celebration at first, but after a few songs, it became full party steam ahead for everyone. One crewman stood off on his own, Adam Quick, who had taken a post at the port beam, a glass stranded on a leather hank hung around his neck. He remained aloof of the partying, drinking and dancing. A man of duty, Melody thought. She watched him pace the rails, occasionally pushing a meandering crewman back into the dancing fray. He drew a pocket watch from his vest, snapped it open. He checked the time, snapped it closed, and dropped it back into his pocket. Melody kept the rhymes coming, couldn't take her eyes off him. Twice more he checked the watch. Twice more he snapped its lid shut, 
dropped it into his pocket. He raised his glass repeatedly and looked off port beam, his eyes squinting, searching for something in the open water. After several minutes of this activity, walking, searching, checking the time, watching, searching, checking the time, he raised his glass and panned over the open sea for a final look. He stopped panning. One of his hands dropped to his side as he looked through the glass. He leaned forward until his belly smeared up against the railing. He dropped his glass, shielded his eyes with a flatted hand and squinted, staring into the distance. He pursed his lips, wheeled around, and moved onto the spar deck. He moved through the bustle, stopping occasionally to step onto a keg or a crate to search for a specific person in the crowd. He spotted Captain Farkle dancing with two women and elbowed his way through the partying sailors. He touched the captain on the shoulder. Farkle turned to him and they had a quick conversation. Both men moved from the party to the port beam. Adam gave his glass to the captain. The captain used the glass to look out into the open waters. After a moment of back and forth panning, he stopped on something that Melody could not quite make out in the horizon. The captain dropped the glass, smiled, and patted Adam quick on the shoulder. He gave back the glass and headed for the quarterdeck. Captain Frank Farkle climbed the eight rungs that led to the stage. He made his way to Melody and leaned over and spoke into her ear. If it wouldn't be too much trouble, I request the use of the barker after this song. Melody Blackheart nodded at the captain, turned to the rest of the band and wound her finger in the air. Dusty and Barry brought the beat home with a few measures of all assault four on the floor, a company front of sound and rhythm. Melody clued them in for a noisy rock and roll ending. The height of the noise, she raised the barker above her head and brought it down. The two drummers followed her lead with a mighty drum hit. The audience cut into hysterical gales of cheering and stomping. Those who could whistled, those who couldn't shouted. Melody Blackheart took a bow and gestured toward the other two members of Blunderbust with an open palm. After the noise died down, she handed the barker to Captain Frank Farco. He moved to center stage and raised a hand. The crew's louds fell to silence. Only the sound of lapping water broke up the anticipation of the moment as he raised the barker to his mouth and pulled its trigger. Melody heard the whirr of the device's clockwork mechanics as Captain Farkle put his lips to the microphone. Aren't they great? The captain said through the barker. Steeled up by his smile, the sailors launched off another volley of cheers. Barkle let them celebrate for a moment, then raised the barker again to his lips. They're going to take a short break. But don't lose an ounce of that fire down there, because they'll be right back for more. The audience cheered again. Captain Farkle hung the barker from a nail in the mizzenmast and gestured for the band to follow him as he walked to the aft of the quarterdeck. He pulled open a trap door and slid down a ladder with the grace of an acrobat into a subdeck chamber. The musicians followed, but with a careful rung-by-rung downward climb. They settled into an anchor room filled with a voluminous capstan, with yards of five-inch hemp wrapping around its heartless body. The captain leaned against the capstan and reached up under the back of his bowler hat for a satisfying head scratch. The musicians stood around him in anticipation of what he had to say. Captain Frank Farkle rested his weathered hands on one of the capstan's bars and looked each of the band members in the eye. First things first, so far I'm satisfied with my decision to hire you for this engagement. I have to admit... When I first met your agent, I believe he's called Charlie Biscuit, I had misgivings, but your sound is fresh and exciting. I don't believe I've heard a nautical ensemble of minstrels quite like you. Thank you, Barry said, putting a hand over his heart. 
Now on to business. If you recall our meeting this morning, we talked about other opportunities to make extra money aboard the Filthy Vicar. Dusty Cannon stepped out of the shadows and folded her arms over her slight chest. Such an opportunity has arisen. Captain Farco used his thumbnail to scratch a splinter of wood from the top of the capstan. I have, of course, hired you to be our nightly entertainment, but there's a higher calling built into the contract. Barry inclined his head forward. I've hired you to be a morale booster while I and the crew engage in certain activities. Captain Farkle took off his beaver skin bowler and held it up into the light. He turned it this way and that as if inspecting it for defects. Let me unfold a scenario for you. If you were to walk out of the cinema, look down on the sidewalk and spot, say, a hundred dollar bill. If you had no idea to whom the bill belonged and nobody was around, wouldn't you be justified in hooking it up, putting it in your pocket, and going your merry way? Melody opened her mouth to say something, but the captain raised a finger to cut her off. After all, if you try to place the money in the theater's lost and found, most likely the cinema employee to whom you give it would himself pocket the proceeds. Let's say the money makes it to the cinema's lost and found. There's no guarantee that the unfortunate soul who lost the money even visited the cinema that night. In all likelihood, the poor sod dropped the bill as he walked by the cinema, minding his own business. There really is no sense in returning the bill. Now is there? What are you getting at? Melody asked. You are under contract to improve the morale of my crew as they go about their work aboard the filthy vicar. I need you to honor that contract for the next couple of hours while we... Go to work. I don't understand, Melody said. There's nothing more or less complicated about it. Things might become a little unorthodox aboard ship. Things might even become a bit tense. But I need you to sally forth. No matter what happens up on that deck, I need you to play as you have never played before. I'm not going to do anything illegal, Dusty said. Captain Frank Farkle smiled, but only with his mouth. He walked around the capstan and put a finger on the back of Dusty's shoulder while facing the other two members of the band. Your friend here, she has shown her hand. As a gambler myself, I've learned that it could be dangerous to show your hand too soon. Now, I'm not saying that her cards are anything other than neutral at this stage of the game, but I encourage you to help her to play closer to her chest. The captain ran his finger over Dusty's shoulders, then touched her with one bony poke. High on her sternum. You are, after all, under contract. And when contracts are broken, there can be grave consequences. Everyone stared at the captain with blank eyes. The timber lasts of the ship moaned under the pressure of the sea somewhere in the background. Am I clear? The captain asked. Crystal, Barry said. Delightful. I love Crystal. Now get up there and play. They love you. Think of it as an opportunity to pick up that bill and... Tuck it into your fold without a shade of guilt. You are, after all, guests in our home. It is I who am the master of the house. Captain Frank Farkle mounted the ladder and took its eight rungs in fluid rhythm. He flung open the trap door and looked down at the musicians. I'll give you a minute, but I encourage you not to delay. Your fans are waiting. He slammed the trap door back against the quarterdeck and plunged out of the anchor room, leaving the members of Blunderbusted below in the dim.
This has been Blunderbusted, part three of four, written and performed by me, Craig Nibo. For today's song, I thought I'd give you something from the world of Melody Blackheart and the others. She started her rock and roll career with the band Skinning Tuesday. They climbed the charts and gained enviable success. However, like so many other bands, Skinning Tuesday suffered from musical differences. Ultimately, an interloper called Snorri the Skull Splitter became the band's lead singer. Today, I give you Snorri the Skull Splitter's official bio followed by one of Skinning Tuesday's biggest hits, a song called My Heart Is Not Your Stick Shift, as performed by Snorri and Skinning Tuesday. Down to the 
Thank you for listening to the Terrifying Lies podcast. Be sure to tune in to next week's episode for the conclusion of Blunderbusted. Until then, I bid you sweet dreams, or should I say, sweet nightmares. This has been the Terrifying Lies podcast. Please come again. You're welcome here. If you like the Terrifying Lies podcast, I encourage you to share it and write a positive review or at least rate it with the highest number of stars possible.